0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, President of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Greg Allison to the podcast. Dr. Allison serves as Professor of Christian Theology at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also an accomplished author, having written many books, including his most recent work, 40 Questions About Roman Catholicism. Dr. Allison, welcome to Preaching and Preachers.
1: Dr. Allen, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast with you.
0: Well, listen, I'm delighted uh, to have you on. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a number of days. And, and just for a touch of, of contextual awareness, uh, my listeners tend to be local church pastors, seminary students, those engaged in uh, local church ministry. And typically we're talking about preaching, some aspect of preaching, whether it's preaching through a particular book in the Bible, um, some other you know theological or historical aspect of preaching or, or preacher. So today is a a touch out of the ordinary, but but not not too much out of the ordinary. So we'll be talking about ministering to, you know, reaching uh, Roman Catholics. and uh, that that is a topic that's been of, of interest to me for many years, and I'll get get to that why in just a moment. But when I saw your book, uh, forty Questions about Roman Catholicism, which came out here just recently just uh, in September of twenty twenty one, And it made me think I really want to get the book, and I really want to have a conversation with Dr. Allison about the book and more broadly about the topic of Roman Catholicism and how best to reach Roman Catholics. Now, full disclosure on the front end, uh, I had you in seminar many years ago uh, when I was a PhD student at Southern Seminary and uh, Ecclesiology Seminar. Enjoyed it then. Reflect fondly on it now. And so here we are full circle getting to host you on this podcast so, Dr. Allison, thank you for making yourself available.
1: Great. Uh, thanks, Dr. Allen. It's, it's a joy to be with you, particularly on this topic. It's of great interest to me.
0: No, and I remember that. I remember that back from that seminar that Roman Catholicism came up a lot, and even then it was a project of yours and had been a project of yours. I'm curious as we get going, just on the front end of the conversation, if you could give us a word of update on your family, on your ministry, and perhaps on any writing projects that are in the pipeline.
1: Sure. Uh, My wife, Nora, and I have been married for 45 years. We have three adult children and 11 grandchildren. Our oldest daughter married with four grandkids there in the Seattle area. Our middle daughter, who's married with uh, five of our grandkids there with the IMB, uh, Church Planting in Toulouse, France. And our youngest, Luke, uh, is finishing up his MDiv here at Southern Seminary. He's married and have two of our grandkids. So we've got three adult children, and 11 grandkids. I'm in my 19th year of teaching at uh, Southern Seminary, writing projects. Uh, I finished a book with Uh, with uh, Andreas Kostenberger from Midwestern. Last year, we came out with a book called The Holy Spirit. He was the biblical theologian doing the first half of the book. I was the systematic theologian doing the second half of the book. It was a wonderful collaboration with one of your uh, uh, faculty members. Uh, I've come out with a book called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. It's a theology of human embodiment. I recently signed a contract with B&H Academic for a book on complementarity, and then also a shorter book on the Holy Spirit. Um, Church that I go to, my wife and I, are at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Interesting, Dr. Allen, you were interim pastor when that church was Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church. It is now part of the Sojourn Church family. My wife and I are located there. Uh, I'm born and raised in Chicago, so love all things, Chicago sports, love the Cubs and hate the White Sox.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it. No, I, am delighted to hear of the uh, current work at Carlisle Avenue. Of course, we have the opportunity to reflect on it a bit before we begin the uh, formal recording here. So thankful for your ministry in all those different areas. Um, the, uh, the book you did with Andreas Kostenberger. Yeah. Fantastic work. Thank you for your, for your effort in that regard. And uh, and I believe I owe a word of congratulations. Didn't did I not see that that book was recognized as a part of um, some of the year end book best books of 2021 recognitions?
1: It was, yeah. Um, Both uh, the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today had it uh, runner up in different categories from uh, 2020. That's that's exactly right.
0: That's great. Now before we, or I should say, as we get into the conversation more properly here on engaging Roman Catholics, I'm curious. What piqued your interest? And I think I recall um, some of what you shared in that seminar many years ago as to what has pointed you in this trajectory, this interest. But uh, I don't want to try to, to recall all of that. I'd rather hear from you uh, more personally.
1: Well, neither my wife Nora, nor I, uh, we were not raised in a Roman Catholic uh, background. But when uh, we graduated from the university, uh, we joined the staff of what was then called Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. And uh, our first assignment for two years was to help launch a crew ministry at the University of Notre Dame, which, of course, is about 80% Catholic. And so the vast majority of the students uh, with whom we were sharing the gospel and we were enjoying them uh, in different Bible studies, community groups and things like that, most of them uh, were, were Catholic. And so it really helped us to develop a burden for reaching and working with Roman Catholics. And So our next assignment with crew was actually to uh, work in Rome, Italy, uh, which Italy is largely secularized, but there's there's still marginal Catholics. So we had a pretty flourishing ministry among marginal Catholics, Uh, and and the the burden and the joy of working with Roman Catholics continued to develop. When I was doing my PhD at at, uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I actually took a class at a Roman Catholic seminary, a course on Vatican II, which was 1962 to 1965, the 21st General Council of the Church. So, studied all that, and and so I've been teaching Roman Catholic theology and practice for nearly three decades. Uh, Hence, this book, 40 Questions About Roman Catholicism, that's also working off an earlier, bigger book called Roman Catholic Theology and Practice and Evangelical Assessment. So, this has been a topic that has been fascinating for me, both in terms of writing and in terms of actually hands-on
0: practical ministry. Well, I appreciate that summary, and uh, there is something about Roman Catholicism I think that uh, that does capture the imagination—not just one who's a trained theologian or you know, a reader of church history, but a person who's even an observer, you know, of, of broader culture of American culture. And it's hard to understand Western civilization; indeed, impossible to understand Western civilization without at least some working knowledge of Roman Catholicism and what it has meant and what it what it means now. Now, I'll be autobiographical, but I'll also be brief. I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, yes, the Bible Belt. Um, but also in Mobile, a heavy Roman Catholic influence, and uh, you know we think of of Mardi Gras as as being you know, a New Orleans phenomenon, but it's very much a Mobile phenomenon, and it, it represents you know and kind of symbolizes a Roman Catholic influence in the city. Additionally, um, due to a coalescence of circumstances that again aren't really within the scope of this conversation, I found myself going to college at uh, in Mobile at Spring Hill College, a wonderful academic institution, as a as a as a college athlete. And it's a Jesuit school, so it's not just Roman Catholic, it's Jesuit. And and for those who don't know, uh, the, the Jesuit order, the Society of Jesus, is generally understood to be kind of the, the liberal wing of of Roman Catholicism. And so I got Roman Catholicism in full measure as a you know, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old young man. I, I was reared in a Southern Baptist context, and uh, I did not become a believer, though, until my freshman year in college. So I, I'm at a Roman Catholic institution. I have some required philosophy and religion courses. Our team. Uh, we went to mass a couple of times a semester. Like ha- had to go to mass; it was mandated. And so, even going to mass and trying to figure out what is going on here. And I remember going to uh, a, a minister in my in my home church saying, I, I, "We're we're going to mass next week, and I understand there's something different about the Lord's Supper, and like, what do I do?" And, and I remember the minister said to me, oh, it's just, you know, you can take it. It's just a, a little bit different. They viewed it a little bit differently than we view it here, but but just take it. You know, that's fine. And of course, I learned pretty quickly. It's a little more complicated than that. But <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it, it's been a source of, of intrigue for me. Additionally, as a college student, um, I, I became a follower of Christ and was on fire for the Lord. And was almost like a novelty item on campus. Uh, this, this evangelical was on fire for the Lord inquisitive outgoing and came to personally know many of the priests on campus many of the priests personally including one uh, very personally very kind to me and uh, would often invite me over to have lunch and in, in the jesuit dining hall which the food there was much superior to uh, the cafeteria food so they didn't have to invite too strongly for me to take them up on it and so i was in and around roman catholicism and, uh, and to this day, in and around Roman Catholicism a fair amount. So I, I come into the conversation, not with your level of expertise, but, but with a similar level of interest and intrigue. And so here we are today. Let me just tip the conversation this way. What would you say is you know, perhaps the most common misunderstanding you know, or misunderstandings, two or three, that evangelicals tend to have amongst Roman Catholics? And, and let me sharpen it a little bit. I don't mean just merely the common misunderstandings, whether it's you know what the Immaculate Conception actually is and you know was and wasn't or are or, or is supposed to be and, and not supposed to be, but 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 misunderstandings that that not only are common but are truly consequential as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let me uh, start with the notion Protestants think that at every mass in a Catholic church, Jesus is re-sacrificed so that today uh, in Kansas City and in Louisville, Kentucky, we may say Jesus is being re-sacrificed for the 3,349,376,000 times. That is not at all what Catholics believe. They believe, like Protestants, that Jesus was crucified uh, once and for all 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, and there's no such thing as a re-sacrifice. Rather, they believe there's a representation that of the sacrifice of Christ that one death of Christ is not locked back in space and time but is is uh, occurs again today during the mass and so it's not a resacrifice but a representation of that one sacrifice that's a very common misunderstanding a second common misunderstanding is that catholic salvation is all by works and nothing of grace and that's very much a misunderstanding because the catholic church is grace-filled. It starts with the grace of baptism, it's through the grace of the Eucharist and other sacraments, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very much a grace-based system along with human effort to collaborate with that grace, to merit eternal life, but there's a strong element of grace, but that grace is also understood differently by us Protestants and by Roman Catholics. So those are two areas of common misunderstanding.
0: So to tease this out just a touch, and here I want to zoom out from not just the common areas of misunderstanding and the consequential areas, as you just noted, um, how do evangelicals like, inadvertently offend Roman Catholics? So we just talked about two common misunderstandings, but but how do we conversationally in our churches, the way we refer to Roman Catholic belief, What what are those touch points that we are unintentionally offending. Now, I want to be clear, the gospel offends, the word of God offends. We are men of the solas, the two of us. And so my point is not that we round those edges, but when it comes to matters that we are not intentionally being offensive because of truth that we will die for, what are ways that evangelicals kind of stumble into offensiveness?
1: Uh, I'll speak uh, from a perspective of my Roman Catholic friend. When we say uh, we are on mission to share the gospel with Catholics, uh, we communicate to them very clearly clearly that they are not saved, they are unbelievers, Uh, and their question is, well, are you thinking of me as like a Muslim or a Hindu or an agnostic or an atheist? You know, what do you mean that I'm an unbeliever that has to have the gospel? Now, you and I would agree, if they don't know the Lord, they desperately and eternally need the gospel. But what we can we can inadvertently come across as uh, as uh, kind of separating them uh, as kind of putting them in a category with Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. And, and they are somehow within the realm of Christendom, aren't they? So they're in the big umbrella. So that's confusing to them. And. Uh, and then when when Catholics, uh, you know, hear Protestants talking about uh, the Bible and Christ and uh, things like that, they can be turned off. Like we're the only ones who know how to do this, and we kind of look down at them as being inferior. Uh, so they struggle with those kinds of uh, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, and that's a a, a very helpful way to frame it. And, and I think. Even as I look back on my own experience as a college student where I was in and around Roman Catholics all the time, it, it was very easy to very simplistically kind of dismiss Roman Catholic beliefs. And and to 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 act as though Roman Catholics did not have thoughtful responses. To our Protestant questions, um, informed Roman Catholics—they have plenty of thoughtful responses. Now, I, I would believe, I would argue, and believe they have the wrong responses, unbiblical responses, but they are not lacking thoughtful responses. Is that—is that what you've sensed as well?
1: That's very—that's very very true. And uh, if we think of Roman Catholicism as a system, uh, not just individual doctrines. Or practices like the papacy, Mary, justification, purgatory, and things like that. But if we look at it as a system, it really does cohere together remarkably well. And so, when we think negatively about Catholics and saying, "Well, they've got the wrong view of Mary and wrong view of purgatory," it's kind of pointing out these singular points without seeing their whole system holds together. And so, they culturally and Systemically, they're, they're part of a culture or worldview that, that coheres remarkably well together. And we look down upon them and they're saying, but we've got a wonderful system here. Everything fits together. And it does. You and I would disagree with the system, but it's not easily critiqued just by saying, well, you got a wrong view of Mary, wrong view of purgatory. It's a system that wonderfully uh, holds together in their view.
0: Right, in their view. And look, there are times when we, when we might look at you know, evangelical chaos. Um, evangelical yep. sloppiness, lack of uh, evangelical, you know, conflict and think not that we're pining for Roman Catholicisms, but think, huh, there's something to be said for a, a, a denominational superstructure. There's something to be said for, you know, not, again, I'm not for it, but you understand why, why some people find appealing this hierarchical structure. You know, it, it does, it does, uh, it does in some ways eliminate some nonsense. Now, as we all know, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, even at the organizational level, uh, very much at the organizational level, have their own challenges of abuse and all the rest that we've seen play out over the decades. But but again, this is not lacking thought. This is not lacking intentionality. This is not lacking people um, who have given a lot to this system now for, for two millennia.
1: That, that's exactly right. And I think a good question... we should ask ourselves as evangelicals is, why do evangelicals move into the Roman Catholic Church? It's not for some willy-nilly reason, right? It's a thoughtful reason, and it often boils down to a couple of points. Uh, There's this longing for authority, which of course is under attack in our society today, but the Roman Catholic Church and the hierarchy provides uh, very solid authority, and there's this longing for unity, particularly uh, this these this rootedness in the past. and uh, evangelicals who are not familiar with our own historical cultural realities and and uh, really are disturbed by the various denominations the many denominations into which evangelicalism is split, right? they They may tend to leave their evangelical churches for Roman Catholic churches for this history, for this unity. And then uh, there's this certainty that the Roman Catholic Church provides, also, uh, the, the, the papacy, the hierarchy has determined what is the canon of Scripture and the proper interpretation of Scripture. And so in an age in which there's so much uncertainty, right, they, they Protestants are sometimes attracted to the Roman Catholic Church because it offers certainty. And, and then it's amazing when uh, Protestants, when evangelicals go to Roman Catholic Mass, they are pretty much overwhelmed by the mystery of the Mass, and that's attractive to many people, too, is they are searching for transcendence, something out of this rat race that we, we call our, our our life. They're looking for something transcendent. They find it there in the Roman Catholic Church. So for all these reasons and many others, right, uh, Roman Catholics wonder, why do evangelicals look so askance at us?
0: Very well stated. Well, let, let me try to focus this here even more so and talk about, you know, actually Evangelizing Roman Catholics, and and I hear heard what you said. We understand, you know, kind of the um, the dismissive comments about all Roman Catholics are lost. Um, I, I don't believe all Roman Catholics are lost. I believe all Roman Catholics who adhere to Roman Catholic doctrine, as formally stated, are lost. But but those Roman Catholics who are saved are saved, not you know because of their church's teaching, but we might say in spite of their church's teaching. With all that, you know, appropriately caveated as evangelicals, as gospel-centered, gospel-minded people, when we're seeking to clarify with someone who's perhaps affiliated or was affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church, um, where they stand with the Lord, and to clarify and press in on the gospel itself with them, how would you encourage us to frame those conversations? What types of questions, what types of topics would you encourage us to pursue?
1: Well, I would first and foremost encourage us to love our Catholic Family members and neighbors, colleagues, uh, friends, uh, with an unconditional love. Uh, again, not looking askance down at them, not just looking at them as targets for our evangelization, but as image bearers who need Jesus Christ and and need the gospel. And as we love them well, of course, we'll want to engage with them in gospel conversation. Uh, and so let's focus on that as much as possible. We, we need to try to avoid fruitless disagreements, right? If you sense that conversation is not going anywhere with your Roman Catholic friend or family member, it probably means that you're not going to win that battle. So if you hope to maintain the relationship with them, I think we need to get out of the wrangling over these fruitless disagreements and really focus on the things that that matter. Uh, And I just think being there for our Catholic friends and neighbors, praying for them, uh befriending them and being genuine friends with them will go a long way so that when they do hit some kind of crisis, a moral crisis, ethical crisis, spiritual crisis, financial crisis, they will know that we are people to whom they can turn for words of hope through the
0: gospel. So as you have not only engaged with Roman Catholics and sought to um, minister to them, I'm curious in the local church setting what you've seen by way of, by way of church members and evangelical churches. Who Christ is called out of the Roman Catholic context, out of Roman Catholic background. Any similarities or, or common patterns you see as to what those folks tend to uh, tend to look like, how they tend to engage, how they tend to serve in in a new evangelical context once they've you know come to know Christ? Uh,
1: I think a common pattern, which is disturbing, is they are usually rabidly anti-Catholic. They, they were in what they would consider now to be a false church. They were in what they now consider to be a church that did not preach the gospel, that was not Christ-centered, gospel-centered. And so there's a tendency for former Roman Catholics, now evangelicals, to be stridently anti-Catholic, and that's not going to be helpful, I don't think. Again, that's, that's not the posture that I would encourage people to adopt, rather to to uh, engage with those friends and family members and colleagues and neighbors in a loving way, seeking to win them to the Lord, but being very patient with them, giving them direction through the good news and stuff like that. So I, I, I think that's a disturbing pattern. But also, I think, on, a, on the other hand, a very good pattern is that former Roman Catholics who've now become evangelicals hunger very deeply for the Word of God, which was, are ap- largely absent in the Roman Catholic experience. They love small group Bible studies. They really dig into the passages of Scripture, reading the text and rereading the text and studying the Bible and praying and loving the Lord, right? There's a freshness. There's a newfound joy that was, was they considered just to be empty before. So there's, there's some negatives and there are also some positive patterns, I think.
0: So let me tee you up maybe for one final question, and that is, um, for our listeners, again, those who are local church servants, pastors, ministers, seminary students, Like, what final word of counsel advice would you give for them as they seek to engage Roman Catholics?
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot to say on this. Um, avoid uh, distracting, unhelpful rabbit holes like— uh, engaging in conversations about what we think about the current Pope Francis. Uh, he is such a lightning rod for controversy. You probably don't want to get into that discussion. Uh, avoid discussion about the current sexual scandals, abuse and homosexuality that uh, impacting the Roman Catholic Church. That's, that's a distracting area, I think. Um, I, and, and really what I would do is encourage our listeners to invite the Roman Catholic family and uh, friends and neighbors and colleagues into what we would call reading groups of the gospel. So tonight, for example, we had a reading group of the gospel. They'd meet at my home. We'd have dinner together. And then we would look ahead on the Sunday mass schedule. So every day of the week, there's a mass schedule for there's readings of the Old Testament, New Testament, and the one of the gospels. We would look ahead to the Sunday mass reading of the gospel. Uh, let's say it's Luke 19, one to 10, the story of Zacchaeus. And we would then read that story, right? That that narrative, Luke 19, one to 10. That would be our Bible study for the evening. We would read it, we would reread it, and then I would just go through a very simple Bible study method, observation, interpretation, application, and prayer. So walk them through the text, not preaching or teaching, but drawing them out through who are the main characters involved in this story in this narrative. What did they do? Uh, What's the moral, the big idea of the story? How do you apply this to your life? Let's pray. Uh, Because my belief is, uh, according to Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Our Catholic friends and neighbors need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again as they become familiar with who Jesus is and what he has done. I would really recommend this, this kind of discovery Bible study. Where the Catholics, our our friends and our neighbors and colleagues are discovering for themselves through these reading groups of the gospel who Jesus is and what he has done, and then trusting, praying that God will turn the light on in them and they will come to faith in Jesus Christ.
0: Well said. Dr. Allison, thank you for the conversation today and for your new book, 40 Questions About Roman Catholicism, out recently with Craigle Academic. And uh, may the Lord use this book and your broader ministry to equip evangelicals to minister to their Roman Catholic friends, family members, and neighbors. Thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.